I, I don't know what you came in with today, if it was just you're full of joy or maybe that you have a heavy heart or, or, or a sickness or good health or whatever it is. Um, I was going to end, and I probably still will, today's message with a couple of thoughts, but I think I want to start it with the same thoughts so that you have a sense of where it is that I'm going to go with this. Uh, absent of the last two weeks, when Jessica was teaching us about worship, we'd been talking for a number of weeks about souls and the Great Commission and, and how our calling is to proclaim the gospel, to go into all the nations and tell them about Jesus. You know, the nation of my neighborhood, the nation of where I work, the nation of the racquetball club, the, you know, the nation of every place, and share about Jesus. And, and we've, we've touched it from a whole bunch of different angles. And, and today... Maybe we'll be done with this for a bit. I'm not sure. But today, what I want to talk about is when you're sharing the gospel, when you're sharing Jesus with somebody who doesn't know him, who hasn't been saved, right? And in the church, we use words that we find in the Bible like saved and salvation and born again and and all that kind of stuff. We have to be sure that the gospel that we're preaching is the gospel that's the gospel, right? Because any other gospel isn't truth and it doesn't bring life. And somebody might say, well, you know, why would a person get saved? And that's what I want to talk about today is what is salvation? What does it really mean to be saved? And at the end of the message, I had these thoughts. And and the thoughts were around that we have to present the fullness of the scriptures. See, the Bible talks about doctrines of men. And there are doctrines of men that aren't true. So, for example, um, I keep saying what I'm going to say, and then I don't say it. Let me just actually say it. I'm going to tell you that most of the church lives not only below its privilege, but also below its calling, right? It's sad that we would live below our privilege. It's almost criminal that we would live below our calling. So I'm going to share with you today some perspective of salvation and, and you should see it from, this is things that I need to tell, these are things that I need to tell somebody if I'm sharing with them Jesus. Because there's great benefit in being saved, being born again, coming into the kingdom of God. But you should also hear the message today from the perspective of, it's really sad that we live below our privilege, and it's almost criminal that we would live below our calling. So I'm going to speak to you from that perspective, and, and now you kind of know what's coming. So it's, it's, it was started off as, hey, you know, if, if, I, if I get saved, whatever that means, because, you know, I'm the guy who doesn't know, and, and literally I was. I was the, the, there's the guy that's the blank sheet of paper, right, that doesn't know anything about Jesus. I was the guy who was the backside of the blank sheet of paper. Who, I mean, I, I wouldn't have recognized Jesus if he fell out of the sky and landed on my head and he had a cross in his hand. So I'm the guy that would have said, and I did. Matter of fact, when I was coming to faith, over a period of time coming to faith, I've been coming to church for a few months, maybe four or five months, the pastor asked me, I was asking him a million questions. He's like, listen, do you want to sit down and talk to the experiential person? You know, somebody who has these amazing experiences with God, and, and you, can, you can try to understand through experience, or do you want to sit down with the smart guy? Who, who will be able to answer questions, you know, and I said, I want to sit with the smart guy. I want to understand. I want to ask questions, and I want somebody to explain it to me, because I spent my whole life thinking it was a bunch of nonsense. It was just about guys trying to get, pardon me, bums in chairs and money in baskets and, and building up, you know, some kind of a following so that they could feel good about themselves, and it was just all a bunch of silliness. Now, I have totally changed my perspective, especially about the guy that's just trying to get bums in the chair and money in the basket, because those guys don't really exist. I wanted to understand. We need to make sure people understand because we don't want to call them to a gospel where at some point they stand before the Lord and, and, and you know, they get in. They really are saved. But there was so much. You ever heard the, the sports analogy, leave it all on the field, right? You know, man, I, I probably could have won the gold medal instead of the bronze medal, but I, I, I left a little in the tank. We don't want anybody to stand before the Lord and not hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you five talents and you'd return back to me 10 or 50 or 100. You fully invested what I gave you. Okay, so um, first priority today or objective today would be to properly communicate to those that would hear and secondly, to evaluate our own situation with respect to 
the gospel message and what it means to be saved. I try to take a stab. It's interesting, right? I mean, I'm a pastor. I have some amount of training, biblical training, theological training, lots and lots of Bible reading and prayer. And I ask myself, you know, I should define salvation. And, and nothing just jumped right off of my mind. Like, you know, like, well, this is, the, this is the definition of salvation. So I really had to think about it. What does it really mean to be saved? And the, the cultural answer is you don't have to go to hell, you get to go to heaven, right? See, everyone is dead to God in their sin. No one, Scripture teaches us, no one is righteous enough to stand before God and have entrance into his heaven for eternity. No person does. Everyone requires a savior. Somebody had to do something for anyone to be saved. That somebody was Jesus. Salvation is to come into the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. But the door doesn't open by you. You can't open the door. Jesus is the door. Only Jesus. So by taking, and, and this is other sermons. This isn't, this isn't the how. This is the what you get sermon. But because of what Jesus did and, and our willingness to place our faith and our trust and to serve him as Lord, our faith and trust in him, then we can enter the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. And we can enter into a living and eternal relationship with the God of the universe that isn't available to somebody who is not saved. So ultimately, salvation is a person coming from death to God into life with God, who has the opportunity then to have relationship with God. Right? There's lots and lots of people who would say they believe in God. And, and I really wrestled with this question. It's like, is he their God? The answer is probably yeah. I mean, I'm talking about somebody who's not saved, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them, who hasn't made that sincere confession of faith and the lordship in, uh, of Jesus over their lives. He can still be their God, the God that they believe in, the God that they might pray to, but they are not his sons and daughters. They are not his children. They don't belong to him outside of Christ, right? So, so that, in a nutshell, is what salvation is. You, you come from death into life, and one of the benefits, one of the fruits of salvation is that all of your sin, not by anything that you did, not by anything that you earned, is dead to God. You're alive to him, your sin is dead to him, and you are then able to come into relationship with him eternally in this life and in the following life, salvation. Okay, uh, a scripture that, that gives kind of a neat picture. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 reads, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pardon me. Breathing. Who gave himself for us to redeem us. That's an important word. To redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So to be saved is to be redeemed. To be redeemed back into relationship with God. And, And redemption... It speaks to a a, a transaction. So for you or for me to be redeemed, there there was a cost associated with that transaction. And the cost was really the life of Jesus, the perfect sinless life of Jesus, the manner of his suffering. Jesus had to suffer the way he suffered in order to be the redemptive payment the propitiation for all of mankind's sin, he had to suffer the payment for the sin of every man. So the way that he lived his life made him proper. I want to say worthy, but I don't know if that's right. But made him actually able to redeem us. The way that he suffered paid the price for our sin. And the fact that he was resurrected is where our hope for life and ultimate salvation is in his resurrection. Okay, the price for redemption was big. And we need to make sure when we communicate this to people that they understand that you didn't just pray a prayer. You didn't just make a statement, however sincere it might be, and get to have relationship with God. It was only possible because somebody suffered on your behalf. We need to understand that it's in the blood of Jesus Christ that our salvation is possible. All right. Ears to hear, amen. 
Ephesians 1, 7 through 8, in him, in him, see it's in him, him being Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. So I'm going to talk about what happens when you get saved and I'm going to talk about what becomes available to us when we get saved. I'm not claiming that these are exhaustive lists, okay? I mean, you might say, well, wait a minute, you didn't say this or you didn't say that, and I would say you're right. But, but from a macro perspective, I'm going to give you some, some, some information that you should think about based upon your own relationship with God and as conversation would come out when he gives you the opportunity and the privilege to share Jesus with another person. So the first thing that happens is we're born again. And, and these things kind of happen at the same time, I guess. We're born again. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there's a new birth that happens. Baptism is a, is a personal statement to the world of this new birth. Now, the new birth doesn't happen without a death, right? That was a previous sermon. But, but unless that you die, unless, unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, no fruit can come. Right? So the, the life comes from the death, the, the actual confession that we are dying to ourselves and we are being, having our life being found in Jesus Christ. We are born again as a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And then God places his Holy Spirit inside of us. I've had the, the real privilege of leading some people to, to the Lord that were... Um, that weren't interested. You know, one of, one of the wonderful things that happens to people is the wheels come off their life. And, and all hell breaks loose in their world, and, and God uses that to lead them to him. You know, when people say, well, I, you know, I'm not going to go to church until I get myself cleaned up, it's like, you don't understand. The church is a hospital. Jesus came for the sick and the lost, not for the healthy and the well. And so I'm sharing Jesus with these people whose wheels have come off their life, and they both said, we're not interested. I said, okay, I don't know how you get from where you are to where you want to be without Jesus, but maybe it's possible. And we continued to meet. And then one of them decided, you know what, I do want Jesus. So I took him through, I mean, the whole thing that Scripture teaches about dying to yourself, about Jesus being Lord, about placing your faith and your trust in him alone and his work, the whole thing. Do you still want Jesus after you heard that that's what it means to come to him? I do. The minute the person said, I do, they began to weep. I mean, just weeping uncontrollably. And I had this sense that I was watching the Holy Spirit move in. That God himself was taking up residence inside this person. And then probably, it was a husband and a wife. Probably um, maybe six or eight weeks later, the husband didn't want to talk to me anymore after a little while and, you know, whatever. But finally, you know, things didn't get better. Called, we met again. Did you think any more about Jesus? I did. Do you think you might like to have Jesus? Give your life, literally give your life to Jesus. I think I would. Okay, you have to understand what you're signing up for. I went through the whole thing again. The third time he'd heard it now. After hearing all that, do you really want Jesus? He said, I do. Guess what happened? You got it right, man. Just like a little baby, just started weeping and crying. And I said, Lord, you're letting me see it again. It was so beautiful because that's what happens. He was becoming a new creation in Christ. He was being born again. He had literally chosen to die. And in that new creation, Holy Spirit took up residence. And it was so overwhelming to his senses that the only thing he could do was weep and cry. It was absolutely glorious. Thank you, Lord. I'd take about a thousand more of those. Now, you might say to yourself, I'm pretty sure I'm saved, but I'm not feeling a lot like a new creation. A lot of what's old seems to still be present, and I'm not seeing a whole lot of what's new in my current. And I'm going to speak to some of that. But what you have to understand is the Scripture is right. But you have memories, and you have experiences, and you have all this stuff. Remember I said we live below our privilege? The privilege in the new creation is awesome. The problem is we keep holding on to the old. The dead thing, we keep taking it off the cross and putting it back on again. And, and it gets goes on the cross and we take it back and we put it on again. When we live to our privilege, because Jesus paid for it, it is glorious. You don't recognize the old because the new has come. Okay. 
So what becomes available? Again, this is, this is a short list. It's not a full list, but it's an excellent representative list. When, when you get saved, there's benefits to being saved. Um, the first is a living, intimate relationship with God as Father. Right? It says in John chapter 1 and uh, I want to say Galatians or Colossians, somewhere where it says that those that have received Jesus have the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Right? So you get this relationship with God where he becomes father to you, where you have Jesus in such a way that you can boldly approach the throne and be received. Relationship. Second thing you get is sozo. I'm going to explain sozo in a minute. You've heard me use the word sozo a lot. Sozo is a Greek word translated into English words in the New Testament. I'm going to explain to you about sozo, but sozo is awesome. You get sozo. You might not actually be sensing that you're getting sozo, but sozo is available to you, and it's huge. Okay, so you get a relationship, you get sozo, you get the opportunity. Remember, I'm describing these as opportunities. You get the opportunity for the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life to be manifest through you. You get the opportunity for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be manifest through you. And you get freedom or liberty. See, when we're, if you read in, um, I want to say Romans chapter 6 or 5, where Paul is talking about, it's, it's, it's really awesome doctrinal teaching. What, what happens when you get born again is you are no longer a slave to sin. That sin is not your master. Because you're not under the law, you're under grace. And the power of sin is in the law. So when you move out from law and into grace, the power that sin has over your life is completely broken. Except if you choose to give it power. Right? So you may say, but I don't feel like I'm walking in freedom. You may not be. But you are free to walk outside of the bondage of sin. It's available to you. It's right there. Okay. So a relationship with God and the Lord Jesus Sozo, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and freedom from the power of sin and lies. Let me just touch each of these one at a time. Intimacy and fellowship with God. Hebrews 4.16 reads, let us, Therefore let us... And here's, here's the, the punchline to the joke, if you, would, if you would say. All of this is available to us. Not all of it is manifested in our lives. You know, different measures in different people. The point is, it doesn't just happen because you made an agreement with God for your eternal salvation. There's a do that's associated with all of this kind of stuff, and that's what I want you to listen for. Okay, Hebrews 4, verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. See, we have this relationship with Jesus that we can go boldly before the throne of grace and receive mercy, and receive whatever we need. See, Jesus is a high priest. In this context, he's our high priest. And we can go before him because of what he's done and our agreement with him. And Jesus has experienced everything that we would ever be challenged with. Every sin that you would ever commit, that you are committing, that you might commit, he's been tempted with it and overcome it. And he doesn't have the attitude that says, oh, you know, you didn't have to do it. You did it, it. No, it says you can come and find mercy from him because he is, he is understanding because he had to be tested in every way that you would be tested in order for him to qualify as the perfect and spotless lamb of God to be sacrificed on behalf of all of the sin of mankind. But you have to go. You have to go before the throne of grace. You don't necessarily live before the throne of grace and get mercy. It says that you can boldly go. That looks like being on your knees. That looks like being in your prayer closet. That looks like crying out to God. But there's an action on your part that brings a response on God's part. James chapter 4 and verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, God's omnipresent. He's right here. He's in my person. He's everywhere. He is. But there's a draw near that only comes with draw near. There's a, there's a presence. It's why I'm praying so much, and many of us are praying so much, that, that just the tiniest little act of faith, the tiniest little drawing near on our parts would bring a huge revelation of God to us so that we would then respond to the revelation the way the Bible would teach us to respond. I imagine it must be possible to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength 
as a concept in a book. But as a person that I experience, who is perfect in every way, whose very nature is love, if I can have that experience with him, right? Someone could tell me about Teresa, and I'd say, ooh, she sounds pretty nice. I think I love her. And I might have some concept of love, but if I get to meet Teresa, and I get to experience Teresa, and I get to behold Teresa, I love her in a whole different way. So if you will draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And his near is way cooler than your near. So there's always a multiplication. There's always a, a huge thing that we get. When we take a little, I think we always get a lot. And the third one about fellowship that I wanted to read to you is from 1 John. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Now, now the, before this, this is, this is the Apostle John. This is, this is the guy who described himself as the, the disciple or the apostle that Jesus loved. This is the guy who put his head on Jesus' chest, right? And, and he says before this that I was with him. We were with him. We experienced him. We heard what he said. And then he comes and he says this. This is the message, with, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's an if statement in there about having this intimate fellowship with God. He won't walk with you in the darkness. You have to make a decision of where and how you're going to walk. And if you'll walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, you'll have fellowship. One another means them and God, you and God, not you and John. But you and the God of the universe can have fellowship. You can walk together if you'll choose to walk in the light. Okay, let's talk about sozo. Sozo is a Greek word. S-O-Z-O is the... uh, I don't know if transliteration is the right word, but the way you'd see it in English letters. Sozo is translated or is is used 101 times in the New Testament. And it's translated to words in English. Now, it's a Greek word, right? So we see the English translation to words uh, save, saved, saves. And it it implies salvation, the kind of salvation we're talking about that, that brings this eternal relationship with God. It also translates to safely, well, healed, and recover. Now, sozo is a full word like shalom is a full word. When, when, when we see the word shalom translated, we see peace. But if we were Hebrew people, we would understand that, that the English word for peace and the Hebrew word for shalom, you know, shalom is this big and, and peace is this big, right? Sozo is like that. We see it in this way, but it it, it implies such a fullness in what we get from God on behalf of Jesus. If you turn to Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, now these are some of the most famous messianic prophecy verses in the Bible. This is where in Isaiah 53, where God, through the prophet Isaiah, is telling, 700 years before he comes, is telling the people what the Messiah will be like and what the Messiah will bring. And in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 53, we read this. And I'm going to give you kind of the um, amplified version. Surely our griefs, griefs could also be translated as sicknesses, surely our griefs and sickness he himself bore and our sorrows, which could also be translated as pain, and our sorrows or pain he carried, he being Messiah, Jesus. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. So our eternal salvation is in his being pierced through and crushed for our transgression and our iniquities. Iniquities, the chastening for our well-being, that word in the Hebrew well, that's translated to well-being is shalom. Okay, So the chastening for our shalom, the chastening for our peace, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. When you see the Greek word sozo 101 times in the New Testament, what you're seeing is the fulfillment of that messianic prophecy. That in Messiah, shalom. In Messiah, healing. In Messiah, our pains are dealt with. In Messiah, sozo. 
Okay, so now some of you came to church today and you had heavy hearts and, and maybe you were struggling with depression. But in Messiah is shalom. It's, they're diametrically opposed. Why is that? The short answer, and it's a different sermon, is that you probably believe in a lie. So many people are so balled up in their, in their misunderstood identity that the devil has got them to believe in things about them that the Bible doesn't say in fear. The devil wants to sow fear into us. And, 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 and we, if we don't know God's word, if we don't by faith agree with God's word, we can embrace the lie. And as soon as we embrace it, we empower it. So in Jesus Christ, all of what you see in Isaiah is ours. It's sozo. So you can have sozo. I mean, there's a ministry called sozo ministry, and that's literally applying the Holy Spirit to the fortresses and strongholds and the lies and the brokenness in our lives that we are still grasping to outside of truth, exposing them, and then ridding ourselves of them. I don't know if that's a great way to explain it, but that, in a nutshell, that's what sozo ministry is, is because we're not walking in the fullness of our privilege that Jesus purchased for us with his pain and his suffering and his blood. But that's what sozo is, and that's what a person gets. They get sozo when they confess Jesus. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit, think about this. Now, now this should be the essence of your life. This should be what people see. This should be how you live. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. It's awesome that the fruit of the Spirit can be the essence of our lives. What percentage of your life, don't raise your hand, <laughs> what percentage of your life is, is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? Is it a moment? Is it, a, is it an hour? Is it a, is it a once in a while? See, you can have the fruit of the Spirit. It can be the essence of your life. But the fruit of the Spirit comes from walking with the Spirit. If you're saved, he's inside of you. You get the Holy Spirit. He's the power for transformation. He's the power that heals. He's the power that takes you from glory to glory under the likeness of Jesus Christ. He's talking to us all the time. He's our compass. He's the rudder of our ship. The wind is crazy in our sails, but the Holy Spirit is a rudder that takes us right where God's pointing us. doesn't matter what way the wind is blowing. Just before these verses in Galatians, it talks about what happens when you walk by the flesh. I don't have those in my notes, but those are nasty. And, and, they, and they emanate from us sometimes because sometimes we do walk in the flesh. My point is that this is available to the person that's going to be saved. You can tell a person, this is what your life can be like. You can, your very essence can be love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. That's, that's at least most of them. But you have to choose to walk with the Holy Spirit. When, when, when your feelings say, oh, that person offended me and the fruit of the flesh wants to come out, you just got a choice to make. Because, see, if they really did something offensive to you, what you really want is repentance. What brings repentance in Scripture? Kindness brings repentance. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness. Being angry, returning evil for evil only brings evil. Bible says overcome evil with good. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Goodness, it's right. It works. It's really true. The fruit of the Spirit is available to us, but we have to walk in the Spirit to have it. Let's talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each one. Raise your hand if you're participating in each one. Everyone raise your hand, please. That wasn't a trick question. Each one. You have been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to each or to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the, the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. I mean, I, I should sit with you as I ask this question. 
are the gifts of the Holy Spirit being manifested in your life? Yes, some, no, some. As much as God probably wants them to, probably not. I mean, I could answer that question, probably not. If you read further in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 14, verse 1, now he's just finished chapter 13, which is the love scriptures. He says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Is there an earnest desire inside of you, inside of me, inside of us as a body for spiritual gifts? See, some churches don't want, and I'm not, honestly, God, don't be mad at me. I'm not trying to jam up any of your churches. All your churches, I pray, would be exactly in your will. But there are churches that if somebody would manifest the corporate gift of tongues, would tell that person to stop. Because the visitor would come, and the visitor would hear this creepy, crazy thing that's tongues, which... The first time I heard it, I thought somebody was out of their mind. But further in chapter 14, it actually, Paul actually says that it's a sign for the unbeliever. Right? So my attitude is, God knows what he's doing. I don't necessarily always understand, understand it. And I might kind of wish sometimes that it would be different. But then now it's my flesh. I have no power to heal or to save outside of God. So we are to earnestly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want them to come. We want prophecy. We want tongues. We want interpretation. We want the personal gift of tongues. We want healing. We want faith. We want miracles. We want wisdom and we want knowledge. If he's got a gift for me, I want the gift. I want us to have the gift because it's edifying to us. It's building us up. And the Bible says all through the New Testament, persevere, endure, Right, Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount says, every house is going to get the storm. The storm is coming. You are promised the storm. It's only in Christ Jesus, in the hearing and the doing of his words, that we weather the storm. Okay. Freedom, liberty. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. John 8.32 says, the truth will make you free. So the question then becomes, are you free? Do you have torment? Do you live in shalom? Constantly, 100% of the time? The answer is no. I promise you, I know you well enough because I know me. I don't always live in freedom. See, freedom is the freedom of the power of sin in my life. Freedom is the freedom from the penalty of sin over my life. Freedom is to be able to walk in the shalom of heaven. Freedom is to have everything that Jesus has purchased for me. Why don't I have freedom? See, one of the keys is this. I read to you part of John 8, 32. The truth will make you free. People say, well, the truth will make me free. But, but the context of John 8, 32 is with verse 31 and all of verse 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if, oh, I love it when there's an if. You have to hear the if. If you continue in my word, then... You are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. See, if you never open, I wish I had my, I do have my paper Bible. Oops. If you never, ever open this book and, and discern the truth, then the truth will not make you free. Because the devil is a liar and a deceiver. It's all he's got to work with against you if you're part of the church. Not, not the church on the street, but the church whose body is Jesus Christ, indwelt by his spirit. The truth will make you free. But you've got to know the truth. And then you have to acknowledge the truth. Devil says, you know what, you're just a lying sinner. I remember back in a day when you did this and you did this and you call yourself a Christian, and, but what about this? And, and he can feed thoughts into our minds. Those are called flaming arrows in Ephesians chapter 6. How do you deal with a flaming arrow? You raise the shield of faith. What is faith? Faith says, no, no, I am a child of God. Faith says that the blood of Jesus Christ has washed that sin away from me. It is not a part of who I am. Honestly, I don't think it was ever a part of who I am. It was a part of what I did. But if I don't know the truth, the truth will not set me free just by its mere existence. Where I'm trying to get you to this, with this whole message is that if you're a Christian... Then, then you have to be committed to Christ. He demands it. Read the Gospels. I can't believe how many people I talk to that have no concept. They said, I call you Lord Jesus. I call you Lord, but I'm not interested at all in how to be 
under your lordship because I don't want to read this. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Whatever. I'm busy. He's not Lord. He's just not. If you're not interested in what it means to serve him as Lord, his truth will not make you free if you don't know his truth. And then once you know his truth and that liar is just banging you in your head, you have to decide who you're going to agree with because who you agree with, you empower. If you say, sorry, I am not going to come into agreement with that. You may be absolutely right. It might be fact. It might be true what you're saying about me, but it is not truth as to who I am. Amen. Okay. See, the Holy Spirit who's inside of me, inside of you, and the Word of God, which I've got, right? God has given us everything we need for success. There's three primary components. His Word, so that we'll know the truth. His Spirit, so that we can discern the truth and the power to be like Jesus, to transform and be changed, and His body to encourage and edify and come alongside and to help us. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the body of Christ. That's the three components to success in the kingdom. If you don't engage the body of Christ, you're weak. If you don't engage the Word of God, you're vulnerable. And if you don't listen and walk and develop an intimate relationship with the Spirit of God, then you can be, believe anything. You can be led astray by a spirit who's not the spirit, but who masquerades as an angel of light in your life. You've got to have them all. Okay, so let me get back to where I started. What's the point of all this? The point is that we live below our privilege. Our privilege is sozo. Our privilege is shalom. Jesus paid a price for us to have all of that. But we live below that. Why? Because we listen to the liar and we give credence to his words. His words should have no place in us. But sometimes he's overwhelming. And I need help. So I have Teresa, I have John, I have Margie, I have Keith, I have Patty, I have Mark, I have all of you. If I'm not afraid, if I see myself as somebody who's struggling and weak and whatever, and I don't want anybody to know, guess what? I'm not going to tell you about my needs, and you're not going to come around me. But if I'm humble to my needs and engage you, then you can strengthen me where I'm weak in myself because the body is so important. I want to live to the fullness of the privilege of Jesus. How would you like to be Jesus? All he went through, and this whole church just running around half crippled because we don't engage what he's given us, engage holiness, so that we can walk in the fullness of the privilege that he's purchased for us. Worse, that we walk less than the call. He sent out the 12, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out the devils. Freely you've been given, or freely you receive, freely give. He sends out the 70. Go off and do all this stuff. You don't need to take extra money. You don't need to take another pair of shoes. When you go, it's going to be provided for you. Heal the sick. Have faith. Encourage. Bring that thing. Now, if I take this back to the perspective of leading someone to the Lord, what are you going to tell them? The doctrine of man says, not all men, the doctrine of man says that I'm Pastor Pat and and I'm supposed to be the man of God and I prayed for that one and they didn't get healed and I prayed for that one and they didn't get healed and I prayed for this one and they didn't get healed and I laid hands on that one and they didn't get delivered. Holy smokes, they're going to lose confidence in me because no one gets healed and no one gets delivered and, and all this fullness that I see in Sozo isn't happening in my church. What do I do? I'll blame God. Oh, wait, I can't blame God because he's God, right? He can't be the problem. I don't want to be the problem. Maybe God quit doing that stuff. I know it says he does it in the book, but maybe God quit doing that stuff. Maybe that was really just for the apostolic times, the first century guys, so that the church could be born and people would trust in Jesus. And then he was going to turn off the spigot of affirming himself in the proclamation of his word, he's just going to shut that all off and he's just going to give us faith and we're going to believe by faith and we're going to trudge through life, you know, 10% of what was available to us because he really only gave those gifts for the apostolic times. Now, that seems silly to me. It seems silly to you, but you can see how you could get there, how you could develop a man doctrine to try to explain why you're not able to produce what the Bible says is supposed to come through you versus humbling yourself before the Lord, getting on your knees and crying out to him, God, what is it that's hindering your presence in this place? Humble me, use me, Lord, you have to. People can't believe in you just as a name in a book. They have to experience you. They have to see you. They have to know your power. Every time Jesus, well, I I think so. Every time Jesus did a healing miracle, 
The next words are, and everyone praised and glorified God. And they followed Jesus because they saw the signs and the wonders. When we tell somebody about Jesus, let's tell them about Jesus. Let's tell them about Sozo. Let's tell them about the kingdom. Let's tell them that everything out there is available to them. Well, they say, well, well, is that all in your life? Tell them no. But I'm pressing in, and I'm believing, and every fortress and stronghold in my mind, I am praying for that thing to come down, and I am pouring myself into God's word, pouring myself into God's word, so that I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind, and I won't have doubt, and I won't have fear. I'll know the truth, and the truth will make me free. And when the devil is even better than my ability to grasp truth, I have the Holy Spirit to punch him in the face and shut him up and be loud in my heart, in my hearing. Amen? So I don't know if this is for other people when you talk to them or if this is for you, but I kind of think it's for both. I want to just read something to you. I'm not sure what a little late is here anymore, so we're probably right on time, since we don't have a time. This morning, uh, I come here early, I I get stuff done, and then I pray, and and Brother Mike um, comes oftentimes, and we pray together, and he's got this devotional, which looks like he's spent a lot of time with or he found it on the side of the road one or the other (laughs) and he opened it up and just opened it to a page you know it's a daily devotional something probably 365 pages in here and the day that he opened it to is june 11th which happens to be annika's birthday i just picked it up He said, yeah, I just opened it to that page. I hadn't talked about today's message or anything. And it starts off with this, filled with God. You may be filled with all the fullness of God. Then it goes on to read like this. Some people come with very small expectations concerning God's fullness. And a lot of people are satisfied with a thimbleful. You can just imagine God saying, oh, if they only knew how much they could take away Other people come with a larger container and they go away satisfied. God is longing for us to have such a desire for more, a desire that that only he can satisfy. You women would have a good idea of what I mean from the illustration of a screaming child being passed from one person to another. The child is never satisfied until he gets to the arms of his mother. See, he wanted shalom. And he didn't have shalom in my arms or your arms or your arms or your arms, but in his mother's arms, he found shalom, right? How did he get there? He screamed. He had to do something. For him to just be outside of peace and do nothing wasn't going to get him into his mother's arms. And how did you know when he got there? He shut up. He had to do something, just like we have to do something. Asher's happy right now, aren't you, Asher? (laughs) (laughs) Johnny Carson said, never children and animals. (laughs) You will find no peace, no help, no source of strength, no power, no life. Nothing can satisfy the cry of the child of God but the word of God. God has a special way of satisfying the cries of his children. He is waiting to open the windows of heaven until he has moved in the depths of our hearts so that everything unlike himself has been destroyed. What a wonderful, divine position God intends for us all to have. That position is our privilege. What a position he desires for us to have. What a privilege he has given us to have. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is something so remarkable, so divine. It is, as it were, a great open door into all the treasury of the Most High. As the Spirit comes like rain upon the mown grass, He turns the barrenness into greenness, freshness, and life. Your dryness becomes springs. Your barrenness becomes floods. Your whole life is vitalized by heaven. And you begin to live as a new creation. No one needs to go away empty. God wants you to be filled. My brother, my sister, God wants you today to be like a watered garden, filled with the fragrance of his own heavenly joy, until you know at last that you have touched the immense fullness of God. The Son of God came for no other purpose than to lift, to mold, and to remold until we have the mind of Christ. 
I started to just think as we were praying, and these are scriptures or, or, or pieces of scriptures that popped into my mind about our privilege. Our privilege on earth as it is in heaven. But we have to pray that to come. Whatsoever you should ask when you pray and believe, know that you have it. The mind of Christ is available to us. We are partakers of the divine nature, the very nature of God, filled to the fullness of God. Jesus, who did unbelievable, the Apostle John at the end of his book said, if I'd recorded everything that Jesus did, the world wouldn't be big enough to contain all the books. Jesus said, greater works than these you will do. And the last one that popped into my head was that we can be transformed from glory to glory unto the perfect likeness of Jesus Christ. So, maybe before we go and answer our call to make disciples, we should renew our call to be disciples to look at the scriptures, to read the red words in the, in the Gospels and choose to be disciples, to surrender our lives to Jesus so that his life, his kingdom, his person, his presence, his fruit, everything can be released through us. Rivers of living water will flow from our innermost places. So that would be our call today, that we would just take a moment, come to the altars, if, if, you, if you have a confession, and, and I, I think we all do, that we have believed for less than our privilege, that we have walked in less than our call, we would ask for a spirit of repentance to come so that we might change the way we think and walk in the way that God has purchased for us to walk and experience what he's given us to experience. So if everybody would stand. And just as a, um, go ahead and bring the overhead lights down. Just as a, an act of humility and surrender, I'm going to ask all of you to come forward. Everybody come forward. And we are going to all, including Pat and myself, rededicate recommit our lives and we're believing we have faith that like the Lord's prayer says on earth as it is in heaven that whatsoever we shall ask we shall have that in this salvation we can have the mind of Christ we can be a partaker of a divine nature we can be filled to the fullness of God we as disciples can do greater works than these and we can be unto the likeness of Christ. So right now, Lord, we come humbly before you, before your throne of grace and mercy. And Father, we repent for minimizing the requirements, for minimizing this act of grace that you so graciously graciously bestowed upon us, God. We repent, Lord, for not humbly taking our position as son and you as father, for being rebellious and disobedient in your word and your instruction for our lives. Lord, everything that you do, that you say, that you require is for our own good so that we can have an abundant life, so that we can have the mind of Christ, so that we can be 
in the likeness of Jesus. So, Father, we repent and we ask for your forgiveness. And we here today, we rededicate our lives to take our place as son and daughter. God, we commit ourselves to, to know the word, to know your word, to know your truth, to seek it out, Lord, to hunger and thirst for that, that our minds would be full of you and your truth instead of the things that we've been filling our minds and our lives with that are counterfeit, that are less than. So right now, each one in your own way, recommit your lives. And this is a prayer. Nobody's listening to you, but it needs to be spoken out loud. Just make your declaration to him. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you. I humbly come before you right now, God, and I rededicate my life to you, God, to humbly take my position as your daughter, to serve you, to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength, God. God, to turn my heart unto you, God, to open my eyes and my ears to hear you, to see you, to know what you're doing and what you're saying, God. To I purpose to be in your word every single day, God, to know the truth, the truth of your word so that I can counter the lies that I've been believing for so long, the lies about myself, the lies about others, God. In your word is the truth. In your word is life. In your word is spirit. In your word is freedom. I thank you, Father, that you're such a good father. Thank you that you're such a good father. Jesus, what a wonderful savior you are. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. God, for Jesus, for taking all my sins, for availing to me a new life. And I honor you for that. I honor you, Jesus. Thank you for taking my place. There's no greater love than this, that one would lay their life down for a friend. And Jesus, I lay my life down for you. You are my friend and you are my brother and you are my God and my Lord and my Savior. And I thank you that you are all things to me. Such a wonderful, wonderful Savior.